This episode of the OCPHA podcast was originally recorded in early 2021. Hey everyone, this is Tony Dow, and welcome to another episode of the OCPHA podcast. And today we're going to be having our special guest, Dr. Corinne Wong, uh, talking about getting into a business mindset and getting into being an entrepreneur. So thank you so much for being on the podcast today. How are you doing? Great. Thank you, Tony. Yeah, of course. And you know, just before we get into the, the weeds and talking about like businesses and talking about how to like navigate yourself into that mindset, uh, can you just give the listeners a little bit about like a brief overview of like, you know, where you you came from and what your journey was like? Yes, I graduated a long time ago, about probably 20 years plus with a PharmD from UOP, Stockton, California. And I spent most of my career in the hospital field, went from graveyard pharmacist all the way up to director and stayed put as a co- coordinator here in Long Beach, California. And now I've transitioned out of the hospital field and now I'm working as a remote pharmacist with a specialty in pharmacogenomics. So you worked, you know, as a pharmacist for a while, but then you also navigated towards a a business mindset. And can you kind of talk a little bit about like, you know, how or what your business is? Well, a few years ago in 2013, I worked with a friend who became my partner for a few years and she had this idea to give, uh, to make protein candy. And I thought, oh, that's actually pretty smart. And I think the reason why I kind of, I, the idea stuck in my head was because at the time I was working in a hospital field still, and I was probably frustrated with the diabetic community. They were not compliant with their medications and their food. And I always go home feeling defeated because I would spend countless hours talking about carb counting and use of insulin and getting the prescription all done right. And at the end of the day, they come back in like a Wednesday above 13%. And I'd be like, why? What happened? Compliance was an issue, food, diet, that was always an issue. They just could not eat well or adhere to the recommendations that we gave them or learn how to carb count. That was my frustration. So my friend came up to me and said, hey, how about making some protein gummy that's low in sugar, high in protein? That was brilliant because you're switching from one macronutrient for another macronutrient. That made sense. And I looked online, there was something available. I thought, you know what, this is brilliant. So we went forward for an LC that was called Protein Gummies. And we tried real hard to get that working. And the idea was to create a sweet treat that was good for you and would not increase blood sugars. And in exchange, we would give you protein that would help nourish and sustain you throughout the day. Because we know that protein helps feel full. And then a day around 2018, she left the company to pursue her own career. And I continued with my Gillis Treats, which is a subsidiary of Progummies. And now I'm specializing in desserts for diabetics and non-diabetics, like people with pre-diabetes or those on a low-carb diet. So that's my legacy is my Gillis Treats is a company that offers desserts and treats to those who really need it. And it's not medicinal by any means, not like Boost Plus or Glucerna. This is a, a dessert like anything else. It's called Penacota. And it's an Italian dessert that is soft like flan, but it's using coconut cream, which is better for you. It doesn't cause the atherosclerotic plaque as animal fat would. And it doesn't cause a lot of dietary issues uh, like heavy cream does. Heavy cream is all full of lactose, so you have to worry about GI upset and diarrhea and flatulence. But because I use coconut cream, it's better for you. I fortify it with milk protein, so again, you get that protein enrichment. And I use agave, which doesn't spike the sugars afterwards. So instead of testing it in consumers, I tested it in diabetics. And I use CGM to monitor their blood sugars throughout the day, at least within two hours after ingesting my dessert. So it's very scientific. So I can say proudly, 
It is good. It is diabetic friendly. It's delicious. I use like three flavors like mango or pineapple or guava. And I even make a chocolate one for the vegan lovers out there. So I do listen to my customers and they're all low carb. That's why it's called guiltless. That's that's really awesome. So, you know, you went into this business without uh, having um, a lot of business background yet, right? You kind of learned on the way or how was that? You're correct. I had no idea. And honestly, if you told me 20 years ago when I was a you know young pharmacist that I would be having a company, I would laugh. I would go, no way. I'm going to live and die in this pharmacy forever. That's how I thought my life would be. But I think some of online get burnt out with pharmacy, like the, the, the policies become kind of dated. You used to feel it's not challenging. And I was already, I had mastered the, the role of the directorship, the coordinator. I was saving money. I was even staff cross covering a staff pharmacist. And none of these roles was challenging. But when I came across my friend and had this business idea, I go, wow, now it's challenging because now I have to actually build a business skill set. And it's not like you go into school. I mean, yeah, I guess you could get an MBA, but I didn't have time. I was actually running a company and I needed to launch my products. So everything I learned, I had to figure it out. And that's the fun part about it is doing a lot of self-learning. I would join the SBA, which is Small Business Association. I had mentors. I had like three mentors for three different parts of my company, a business plan mentor, packaging mentor, even a mentor for a marketing. And I would join networks on Facebook. I had, you know, I would go to conferences and still go to like APHA had go to Food Expo West, you know, which is like their equivalent of, you know, the conference, but it was food related. So you get free food instead of free pens. <laughs> and um, yeah, so everything I learned was on my own. And the SBA was probably like my school. It would tell you, well, if you want to start a company, make sure you have an LLC. So I would talk to a lawyer. Then it would say, if you're ready to have a logo, make sure you patent it. So I would just go online and um, go to the patent and trade organization and learn how to file my own patent and or trademark, which I did. And then we just tell you line by line what you need to do, like, almost like a checklist. And if you didn't know it, guess what? You had to do it yourself. You had to go to the, you know, Orange County Department of Public Health and ask them, okay, what license do I need? How do I do it? And it's fairly simple. You just have to go through the most of doing it. So there's no class. There is no lecture, but you know what you need to do. So if there was a, uh, a need for marketing, like for example, on social media platforms, well, you could hire someone. That's the easy way out. Most people do this, but I learned it. I would take free podcasts. I would listen to free podcasts or listen in on webinars and learn how to do it. If I couldn't do it myself within a sufficient amount of time, I would hire a blogger, a young person who was a little more skilled at social media. And that's how it would take off. So the rule was, if you couldn't do it yourself sufficiently, then delegate it. Like packaging, if you don't know how to do graphic design and how to use transparency background, you'd hire a graphic artist designer. Uh, so that you can do all those things. But you learn a lot when you run a business because you only have so much money. So it's all about saving money or where we apply the lean set strategy. You wouldn't want to spend, let's say, $500 on R&D to certify that your product is gluten-free when in fact you're just marketing a bottle of water, for example, right? So sometimes you don't need to expend on areas that don't require spending. I was offered a chance to pay $3,000 for a marketing girl so that she could tell me who my demographic is. Now, is that valuable? 
No, because I did it myself already. So if you can do it yourself and save money, do it. Uh, so you become very wise because you don't you don't have a lot of money to spend. So you're very, I don't want to say cheap, but you're very pragmatic about what you want to spend on. If you can't design it properly, well, there's like 99 designs. There's graphic designers that probably charge about $100 an hour that can probably put together a logo for you. So those are my my thoughts on how I approach business was that it's very much self-motivational. You have to do it within yourself. And of course, like I said, adhere to all those guidelines that's offered by the SBA. And they tell you, so my industry is food industry. So it's very strict. I had to register with the FDA, uh, California Department of Public Health, county public health <laughs> and, and permits for every time I opened up a booth at a market because that's my storefront. So I had a lot of permits and plus I get insurance as well. That's very important. And I have people for all these people. So if you look under the umbrella of regular streets, I have contractors. I have lots of people that work under me that do things for me. I have a designer, an artist, a photographer, a blogger. All these people are part of the team. I even have sales reps. So you're not alone in it, but you do have to make a call as a boss lady or boss person to tell people what you need. And then whatever you don't, you hire or you learn yourself how to do it. But you have to be pragmatic. You don't have like $100,000 <laughs> to spend. You probably have much less than that. But it can be done. The normal price for a business a startup is about $12,000 for the first year. That includes like, you know, research development, materials, uh, insurance. So $12,000 isn't a lot of money. Uh, but if you keep going every year, it's $12,000 every year. So you do want to start selling product probably by the, the second or third year. Um, by the third year, you're usually breaking even. And then by the fifth year, profitable. So I'm actually profitable now. It took a long time, <laughs> but it can be done. Yeah, now that that was a lot of good information. And um, I do want to ask about a few things. I, I guess like, I do want to add, I agree with you about the whole social media with the, uh, you know, identifying your audience, because you if you are going to hire someone, that person has to have that experience within that field that your niche is. Otherwise, it's very hard for them to understand what the audience is. Yes, they can go through and do the market research. And yes, they can like, you know, look at your competitors and stuff like that. But they don't really sometimes know as as much as you do uh, for your audience if they've never done that kind before. I think that's one of the problems that I've seen with um, people who hire social media like consultants is that they'll hire a general social media, but the that person does not know the market because they've been doing this for this other type of market. Now they're trying to like figure out this niche that they they've been hired to do. Right. And I'm, I'm speaking of this from experience because I, I do own an escape room and I do all the social media for our own escape room because it's very hard to find someone that knows that market very well because that market's so niche and still new. Um, so I just wanted to, you know, just comment that as well uh, in what you just said. Yeah, it's you're absolutely correct. The bloggers out there, the people who market themselves as marketers or influencers, our only goal is to make money off of you and give you number of followers. And followers does not always equate to increase of revenue. So you want to look at a thing called ROI, which is return on investment. So if you were to spend, let's say, $300 on a gal who promises you a bunch of followers and likes, well, that's exactly what you can get is a bunch of her friends liking and following you. But none of them is going to translate to actual sales. You will not get an increased traffic towards your website or towards your escape room. I do my own marketing because, well, I think it's better when you're the owner and you believe in it and you want to increase sales. Social media, by definition, is social. That means there should be an interaction. When you hire a girl for $300, she's not going to reply to every single comment or response that's posted on your feed. So when my customers see a post, they either like it or they make comments. I always respond with a comment. You'll never see me leave a comment un 
unresponded because I want my customers to know that I saw it. I loved it. I liked it. Or I have a response for it. And that's how you customer because they feel there's an engagement with the company or the head of the company. And that is how you increase ROI. So these are things that I think about that a pharmacist does not think about. We don't learn this in school, right? <laughs> but you're learning as a business person. I want to create, make money. How do I do that? Well, I include my customers. I don't, they're not just uh, another you know, bill or a sale. They're not a sale. They are a person. And I'm trying to fix their problem. They're trying to lose the weight. They're trying, they have issues. They, they want to buy your product, but they, they want to know more about it. So when you're the, the boss person, you can reply directly on that feed. And guess what? It's public. So anyone can see that. So when they see that engagement, they're more likely to go, you know what? I like this company. So it's much more important to sell you as a face of your company. And that's something, again, we don't learn in pharmacy school. But in fact, when you work as a pharmacist, you're doing exactly that. You're selling yourself. Whenever you apply for a job, a residency, um, you want to be heard, you want to be recognized for a promotion, you are selling yourself. I sold myself every day at the hospital for 20 years because I had to make people believe me, doctors to buy in what I had to offer. You know, uh, while my, my role was to go to ICU and medical floors to make recommendations. And trust me, if they didn't like me or didn't like what I offered, um, they would not take my recommendations as quickly, right? But I had 99% acceptance rate. People love what I had to offer because I was a nice person. I listened to them. I gave them plenty of options to fix their problem of that patient. And that's why they liked me. So if they had an issue about a patient who probably has a drug addiction, I would look up the cure support for them. Um, if they had a patient that had a funky medication reconcile, I would call the pharmacy and do the medication reconcile for them to verify all those drugs. So the doctor had a problem. I fixed it. I sold myself. I, I made myself very marketable. So I took that business acumen or that foresight into my business. And I translate it now into, you know, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, whatever. <laughs> um, even my website, it's me selling myself, my knowledge, my compassion, the fact that I'm willing to work with people. I have a patient who's a, not a patient, a customer, sorry, who's a diabetic in Texas and he loves my stuff and he wants to find a go-to dessert for him because he's diabetic. I was willing to actually eat the cost of the shipping uh, if he paid like a, I think a, the overnight fee and I had increased the price of the product and he was willing to do that and he did and I'm very happy because he found something he can go to and that makes me really happy as a professional as a business person I made a little money off of it and that's pretty awesome but the point thing is that he was able to refer his friends in California about my product so now I made more money so I made a lot of little money on that guy but I made much more money with his friends in California all with that so again it's all about marketing pivoting um, all these things are part of the business acumen, part of our skill set. Yeah. And I, I think like the, you know, even if you're, so you were talking about like working in the hospital and then going on rounds. And I think the other aspect too, is like some of the pharmacists work in the community. You're still doing the same thing. Like look, what you said is about building relationships. What are you doing as a community pharmacist? You are building relationships with your patients, right? So I guess just trying to get that mindset and then shift it towards the business uh, aspect is something that um, it, it should be acknowledged, but it's not done as much. And I think it's because business itself, it sounds kind of like scary to many pharmacists. And I mean, we're pharmacists, we're generally risk averse. So it's it's a little bit hard to like get into that idea of thinking about that. So uh, do you do you have any advice about like, I guess, how can someone think of switching over without like being too scared of it, if that makes sense? Uh, yes. 
first of all, everyone's scared. Even people who claim themselves to be entrepreneurs, like they have no career in the background and they're like entrepreneurs. That's fine. They all are scared. Everyone's scared because you, you come out of the gates and you're not making any money. People don't like your product. It's very frustrating. And there's this, like this deadline to make a lot of money. And uh, I think that being scared is normal. I think what I want to point out, though, is that we are, as pharmacists, always selling ourselves. You may not know it or think it, but you are. You mentioned that in community pharmacy that we have big relationships. Well, guess what? They would not ask you a question. They would not confide in you or even bother with your business if they didn't like you, if they didn't trust you. So that emotional bond is because they like you and they want to buy from you. They want to support you. If you are a mean person or a Karen, or if you will, they're not going to support you. So you're always selling and we are always nice people. Not because our profession says we are, because we know that is what brings in people. That's what we know uh, keeps our customers coming back for their healthcare needs. In terms of business, if you want to do business, there's a couple of ideas, a couple of things you want to remember. Business should always be considered if you have an idea that solves a problem. And there's always problems out there. Now, I probably have an idea like once a month, <laughs> but it doesn't mean I'm going to actually like do it, anything about it. You have to look at the problem. How big of a problem is it? Is it something that, that really a lot of people complain about? Can I invent something or create something that, that will help it? Okay. So there's a lot of research involved. And my rule is this, this is what my mentor told me. If it's a good idea, it'll stick around. Like it'll be in your head the next day, the next week, and you can't get rid of it. You can't shake it off. It's a light bulb that won't turn off. So it's your own body's way of knowing like what problems exist out there. And there's a lot of problems in your field. I'm sure as a informatics pharmacist, you have a lot of problems, correct? Well, if you can create a device or um, you know a product that helps mitigate that problem, that might be golden. But is there a market for that? Is there a lot of people having this problem, experiencing this problem? I picked diabetes because as we know, one in three people will have diabetes, right? And now we're diagnosing people with prediabetes. So it's just a matter of time. Just look at how many Starbucks are popping up, right? As more Starbucks pop up, more diabetes risk. That's how I look at it. So you want to do pick like a really big market potential, a problem that everyone faces. And then uh, if it sticks in your head, go with it, research it. Now, you know, in your lifetime, you'll probably have a thousand ideas. Maybe only one or two are going to be fantastic. And at that point, once you find a fantastic one, then you decide, is this something that I really want to um, pursue? You know, and that, that requires a little more thought process. I'm pretty sure that every pharmacist, given what I just said, can do it because you're always selling yourself. It's more of like, do I really want to put $10,000 down for a product that could potentially help a lot of people. And that's where you need discussion with your loved ones, your friends, your colleagues, and see how how potential, how great of a potential this is. You're almost like presenting it like in a Shark Tank form, right? So when I presented my panna cotta dessert, I liked it. I loved it. My kids loved it. But I did what did one step further. I took it to strangers. I took it to hospitals. I took it to people who I didn't know and said, try it. Tell me how you like it or not like it. And that's how I knew. And now I have people who are committed monthly subscribers. I have people who like will rave about it on Yelp. And um, honestly, if I quit now, I think people would be very upset. Like a lot of people. I probably have sold over 20,000 units already, which is a lot. Okay. <laughs> it's like two years time. So I'm constantly making product. So there's a definite need there. So you do have market research. So those are my suggestions is that if you want to do it and jump the gun, 
yeah, get a very good broad-based focus group to tell you how great or how bad your idea is. Now, the last thing I want to mention about the business thing is that for me, I invested $50,000 in this company and I made more than that. Now, I could have taken that $50,000 and done what everyone else did and bought myself a Tesla, right? <laughs> I could have done that. But a Tesla is just a car and I'm pretty sure um, it would have been lovely, right? But I don't, I wouldn't, have, the car doesn't make money for you. My, my baby, my guiltless treats makes money for me. It's passive income now. It's something that I make for fun. I go in there. I have a team that works with me and we make money and it's absolutely wonderful. People get better with it. They're losing weight with it. They have better blood sugar control. And that is something that Tesla cannot do for you, right? So that's, everyone can choose how you spend your money. So if you had $50,000, what would you do with it? Would you buy Bitcoin, a Tesla? Or build your own company that would potentially you can sell off for $200,000, which is my valuation, right? So it's like you're making money out of nothing. And that's, that's something that anyone can do with the right product, good mindset, and that you can adapt your skill set. And you're still a pharmacist. Nothing changes. But now you have something on the side that's yours. I mean, why did you do your escape room, right? It's like, so it's yours. You can make money passively and you own it. You can't drive it, right? It's it's a, it's a storefront that people can go to and enjoy and have a great time. And that will always be yours. So it's something amazing about something tangible that makes money that you create with your bare hands. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's also that mindset of being your own boss, which uh, a few of my friends have actually talked about too, like running their own business. And I mean, they, they, they open their own pharmacy. They just like the feeling of being their own boss as well. And I do want to go back a little bit on when you were talking about making sure it's a good idea and then going to strangers and then seeing if they like it. What was your threshold of like knowing that that focus group is the right size to like commit to expanding? Like that's what I'm curious about because if I was going to start something like that, like what you did, I actually, I wouldn't know, like, where's that number cut off? Like, is there a part, part where I just have to like jump and go into it? Or did you, did you have any like number before that you knew that you wanted to try to see you meet and then go for it? Like, what, what was your thought process on that? You're going to laugh at me for this. We're such pharmacists here. N is 100. Okay. The sample size has to be 100. So I got a hundred surveys, like hundred people who I didn't know to answer the question. And if I got a statistical significant answer of, yes, it's a great product. I went with it. So it was either like, I didn't count. Oh, it's okay. Okay. Doesn't count. I don't want an okay product. I want an amazing product. I want a product that you would spend money on. So on the survey monkey, you would, or any pretty much online surveys, you have to have a, a gradient level, right? So zero meaning I wouldn't buy this at all. I think it's completely useless. And then five being I would definitely buy. Like I would buy it at this price point and love it, incorporate in my life. But if you had a lot of people rating it as three, which means like, eh, it's okay. It's not bad or good. It's just there. They're they're not purchasers. So you want to find out that you have at least at least like 70% or more people who would buy your product. That is my cutoff. It's a little more, I would say tough to get, but if you survey enough people, then you got it. If you survey 200 people and you still couldn't get that number, the 70% affirmative answer then design it's not a good it's not a good product wow <laughs> it's a very high threshold but you're spending a lot of money so you want to know for sure now i will tell you that my first product with the gummies was the gummies right and uh i didn't like it personally right my kids loved it my husband kind of liked it but there were a lot of mixed emotions with it in the end i had to discontinue it because I only sold like, gosh, comparatively, like maybe 10% of what I'm making now. It's like nothing. I barely, I didn't break even. I was losing money every month. I only sold like $50 worth per month. It was not enough to even make it viable. 
And and my friends would go, but we loved it. No, you didn't. Because if you did, you would have bought it, right? So now in my current situation, I have people who who know me who will buy it. They don't ask for it for free. I don't give it for free. They they will buy it because they want it. But the gummies, no. If you give it for me for free, I'll, I'll take it. But I would not buy it. So that is a cutoff. Will people buy the product? Will they spend money on it? And honestly, if it's a good product, if it's a great experience, if it's something that they need or would like in their life, they will spend the money. Yeah, I mean, that that totally makes sense. Um, Because if yeah, you get the wishy washy of like people who are like, Oh, like, we like it we will support you. But then when it really happens, and it really comes down to it, it's not good enough of a, of a product, which which makes sense the way that you're, you're doing your cutoff. Um, and I think like, uh, it's difficult, because coming from a pharmacy uh, background, it's hard to understand those kind of things and making those hard cut decisions. Because you know, like in healthcare, right? It's not like just a black or white, but in business, it's a little bit, I guess, sometimes is a little bit more than that, right? Like a little bit more like black and white because you just have these numbers to cut off. Yeah, actually it has to be. There's a saying in business, it's business, it's never personal. So they don't buy my stuff, I'm not gonna cry about it. I always say, it's okay, don't worry about it. I totally understand. If you don't buy from me, Tony, I won't be sad. That's fine. You know, you're lactose intolerant or you just don't like panna cotta, that's fine. But I think a good person will know, you know what, I gotta stop the company. I am bleeding, I'm not making any money. No one, not enough people like it, must stop it. It's not enough that you like it or your family loves it or your best friend thinks it's awesome. If no one's buying it, you need to stop it. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that makes total sense. And you know, like you were mentioning about like SBA and a couple other um uh other ways that you were uh learning about how to start a business. I'll put those links into the show notes too for people who are interested in learning more. I'll put the link to the SBA website with all the information and checklist. Um, but uh if someone had like more questions about like, you know, specifically how you run your business or how you started that we didn't talk about on this podcast yet. Uh, what's the best way they can reach you? Oh, the best way is go to the website, go to mygetlesstreats.com. I'm sure you put in the show notes, you click on that. There is a little icon. We can send you a message. It goes directly to me and I'll respond to you. So if you have a question about a possible product idea, talk to me, run it by me. I'll be happy to give you my two cents. I've mentored many other entrepreneurs whether it's food or technology or service. And it's the same. It doesn't matter what you're offering, but how you start is the same. It, I will always look at, is there a need for it? Is there a problem that exists that you're solving? SBA is a great way to start. That's one. Number two is run it by me, run it by other strangers and friends of friends who don't know you. And have them give an honest answer. And of course, do your research. Okay. I think that is uh, very important. I can tell you right now that just based on the current situation that uh, we'll probably see a lot of resistance in like antibacterial wipes. You know, So if you have like a device that can kill viruses, like a UV light or portable UV light, Hey, that's golden. If you see like a, a need for, oh, I was talking to a student the other day and um, we were t- I was telling her that there was so much non-compliance with CHA patients taking Lasix because they take Lasix and they forget the KCL and vice versa. So I said, why don't we just create a tablet that contains both? That'd be golden. And she goes, yeah, that's a good idea. I go, yeah, that would be a good idea. But those are just ideas. And if uh, you see a problem, you can work on it, you know, I, but honestly, anyone can spend $100,000 or whatever and buy themselves a Chickapilla, a McDonald's or start your own Mary Kay club. I mean, you can do that. You still apply the same business skills as you would if you start your own company. So I do my own company because kind of like Tony said, I set my own hours. I don't have a boss above me. I don't have to pay like franchising fees. 
I am on my own completely so and I love it. And it's uh it's very, very fulfilling. So you can definitely be as a business person if you want to. So definitely reach out to me. If you want to run, run by an idea, I'll be happy to give you my honest opinion. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much. And, um, you know, just uh, to be respectful for your time, thank you again so much for being on the podcast today and just sharing like your information and, you know, your uh, experience in opening a business and, uh, you know, offering to the listeners to, to reach out to you. So thank you so much. You're welcome.